Episode 13, Bitcoin Hashing. The Bitcoin mining process is one of the major stumbling blocks into a true understanding of how Bitcoin really operates. Perhaps it's the name, mining. It conjures up a very specific image of physical labour, of an analogue system in a digital world, not really what it actually is, which is an automated CPU process of creating hash functions. The term mining is partly a legacy of Bitcoin being treated as a digital gold, not a purely new monetary network. Therefore, the term mining might be the easiest way to understand the process, but the sheer lack of understanding of computer science in general means the easiest explanation isn't always the best. Sometimes it is best to push people's understanding of topics, especially ones so new and revolutionary as Bitcoin, rather than wait for them to catch up. So the term mining is confusing and complicated and doesn't really describe what it is. If the young started to call it hashing for Bitcoin, it might push people more to understand what the process was really about. If we were to take the digital gold analogy further, Bitcoin mining might be better called sieving or sifting for Bitcoin. In reality, you aren't even using the CPU power to mine Bitcoin relative to contribution. You are trying to find that magical golden nonce each block every 10 minutes. But I don't think we should call it sieving or sifting for Bitcoin either. I don't think this is a good name to give the system. It is not descriptive or evocative. Therefore, what can we call this system? Well, when you lend out your CPU power over to the network, what is the CPU actually doing? It is producing hash functions. The hashing is where you input a certain number and it is processed through an algorithm. It is these hash functions that provide the proof of work. The process should therefore be more accurately described as hashing, not mining. The baby boomer term for this function may remain, Bitcoin mining, but the digitally native term should be hashing. Of course you didn't come to this episode for a lecture on nomenclature. But I think this hash creation process is one of the least understoods of the Bitcoin network, so it's best to get its name right. The hash functions produced by the network at the time of writing is 189 quintillion, 629 quadrillion, 301 trillion, 916 billion, 385 million, 400,000 hash functions per second. It is these hash functions that take the necessary data, has operations processed on them, and return to the network to provide proof of work. So, hash functions. Hash functions are produced by the Bitcoin network in an idea taken from Adam Back's Hashcash. The use of proof of work hash functions when the system cannot be gamed or altered by anybody in retrospect by anybody, including the founder. It creates an immovable legacy for the network where the hash functions must be undone in order to change the network or to change a transaction, a nearly impossible task. The creation of proof-of-work hash function can subsequently be used to process all the network payments and transactions by storing them on a timestamp server. So what are hash functions? A hash function is a mathematical process taking data, performing a function on it and returning the output data back to the network.
Bitcoin uses these hash functions as part of the block hashing algorithm in order to write new transactions onto the timestamp server. The two basic categories of the hash function are the input data and output data. To accept a hash, the transaction has to meet the requirements of the rules. This rule is laid out by a certain number of zeros at the beginning of the result. The difficulty depends on the number of these zeros. For example, getting the hash with one zero on the beginning is easy, but 18 zeros is very difficult. The system can then be regulated to adjust the difficulty of generating bitcoins every 10 minutes or so. Bitcoin uses the SHA-256 hash function algorithm developed by NASA, one of the most complicated cryptographic algorithms ever created. The algorithm is simply the process of solving Boolean algebra and 32-bit addition. Solving these two tasks obsessively, and it having been directly monetized by Bitcoin, has meant that custom chips to solve these equations, called ASIC mining chips, has proliferated. Mankind is now extremely efficient at solving these algorithms on a mass scale. You could of course theoretically solve these algorithms manually with paper and pen for the Bitcoin network, but it would be several quintillion times slower than modern hardware. So we have the situation, once you set up your mining rig, you can begin producing hash functions for the base layer of the software. You are using your CPU to provide proof of work. That is all you are doing. Anybody who lends their CPU to provide the proof-of-work functions is doing a grand job indeed, as the network has been in near-complete uptime working order since its original release. But of course, this proof-of-work function has to have an incentive mechanism. It would be a nice idea, perhaps, that people might want to support the theory and logic of Bitcoin and simply to give away their spare CPU power, much like BitTorrent and how seeders give away their bandwidth. But of course, Bitcoin doesn't rely on this, it adds in its own incentives. The system does not grow fast enough with only volunteers. So Bitcoin doesn't rely on charity or vague notions of communitarianism. There is a clear and direct reward for hashing. The reward every 10 minutes for one lucky solver of the golden nonce is Bitcoin. The number of which halves every 4 years from 50 down to 6.25 today. These bitcoins provide a huge incentive to use cheap energy to run CPU for mining. So what is the SHA-256 hash function? It provides the hashing algorithm which the network is based on. So hash functions transform large bit strings called messages into smaller fixed length bit strings. These messages are digested, and they can identify and verify who produced them, and act something of a digital fingerprint. With SHA-256 algorithms, messages of up to 2.3 billion gigabits can be merely produced by a piece of data 32 letters long. The system is often used for data identity and verification of large files. Another common use is to encrypt and decrypt messages on a journey. The way this system works with the Bitcoin system is that a message is inputted and no matter how long the message inputted, the output will be 256 bits in length. These messages contain all the data necessary to run the network and that it is impossible to reserve. Every 10 minutes, a block of these hash functions 
are finalised and sit on the timestamp server as encrypted messages that cannot be altered or changed. They are proof of work of every transaction on the network. The SHA-256 hash functions also functions as determining the difficulty of the mining. The miners produce hash functions with zeros at the start of the outputted hash, and the current difficulty is 20 zeros at the start. The hash functions produce guesses for what is called the nonce of the block, hoping to find the elusive golden nonce. So when you produce hash functions for the network, hashing does much more than solve algorithms. It controls and regulates the network. As long as there is hash functions being produced in a general upward trend, there is no problem that the network will carry on strongly and securely. Satoshi himself mentions this via way of the gambler's ruin problem, which suggests it will be impossible to stop Bitcoin as the value of Bitcoin grows as the block rewards mean there will be more and more incentives to produce more and more hash functions. Over time, this simply becomes too big to overtake for a 51% attack. There is no entity on Earth that could flick a switch and produce anywhere near enough hash functions to successfully attack the network. But it is not just block rewards. All Bitcoin transactions on-chain are sent with fees. These transactions are collected into the mempool. From here, honest hashes can select the transaction in the mempool based on the fees attached to them. Obviously, they are incentivized to select the highest fee possible, and then the miner will broadcast the proof of work that the transaction has been completed. In order to validate and add new transactions to the timestamp server, hashes compete with each other using these ASIC CPU rigs in order to generate the most hashes to have the best chance of locating the golden nonce. In order to discover these blocks every 10 minutes, the hashes take data from all the previous blocks that have been timestamped on top of each other, as well as any new transactions to move the network along. The new block, known as the block header, contains the timestamp of the block, and these are built on top of each other in a chain of blocks. The hash containing the previous data contains an empty space known as a cryptographic nonce. And to an English person, nonce is quite an amusing name for it. Most of the data is fixed and cannot change apart from this nonce. What hashers are really looking for is the golden nonce. This is the one successfully completed hash function that will complete or solve the entire block. The golden nonce is generated completely at random, so nobody can gain an advantage of possibly knowing where the golden nonce will be. Finding the golden nonce releases the entire block reward, very much like a lottery or a golden ticket from Willy Wonka's chocolate bars. The mechanism of using a lottery is interesting. Rather than apportion the block rewards based on CPU power to the relative blocks, say, a pure lottery system is far more decentralised random and an open-sourced way to incentivize hashing. Of course, the big producers of hash functions for the network are more likely to win this lottery, but equally solo miners can and have found the golden nonce. Rags to riches via computers and nonces could also describe Jeffrey Epstein, but we won't go there. So, each block, every 10 minutes or so, has a golden nonce, which any hash can find. 
The more hash functions you produce, the more chance you have of finding the golden nonce. It is kind of like a lottery. From this, we get an entire block produced every 10 minutes or so. All the transactions in the block can be completed and the rewards for the block released to the solver of the golden nonce. So, if that's how the software operates, how does the hardware operate? How does one set it all up and produce a mining rig? Well, back in the early days of Bitcoin, mining was simply done on home computers. The software was simple enough to use with a bit of effort, and 50 Bitcoins could be granted to anybody who even put in the minimal effort. The early years of Bitcoin mining was perhaps the largest informational asymmetry ever seen to mankind. Those 50 Bitcoins, for simply running a computer program, would, 10 years later, be worth millions of dollars. Of course, the amount of people who would have kept those Bitcoins safe and secure and not spend them is minimal, but that's their problem. The difficulty of finding the golden nonce, of course, got harder and harder as time went on. From here, early enthusiasts could develop home rigs. The more prosperous could have used their own energy from solar, wind, or even geothermal and hydro, should they have the land to do so, in order to generate the electricity to make it cheaper for themselves. Ordinary people could seriously start to produce hash functions as they learned about the possibility of home mining. The first cycle of Bitcoin saw around half of the Bitcoins that would ever be released, released in these blocks of 50. Before the first halving saw the hashing reward cut down to 25, then to 12.5, and now to 6.25. So we've come a long way from those who run Bitcoin mining software on their laptops in order to generate these strange new coins, which had no real market value and met with much derision by many. Then it grew into pennies and cents, dollars and then pounds, and Bitcoin became what could be called promising technology. As you might expect with exponential technology, the change in the last 12 or 13 years since the first block was mined has been mighty. In several different areas, Bitcoin hashing has created whole new areas of industry. We are now at the stage where former power plants in some areas have been recommissioned to produce hash functions. El Salvador has launched its volcano bombs to generate funds to mine Bitcoin using natural geothermal energy. Oil companies are using Bitcoin mining in several ways. The most common is to burn spare fossil fuels to generate electricity that would otherwise go to waste. The legacy of John D. Rockefeller lives on in the oil companies, who operated at such an intense level that it was said that he said that no product should ever go to waste. And so burning flare gas to provide electricity for Bitcoin is almost like free money to the oil majors. This is the broad state of play we are at with hashing operations. But there is one more area I want to mention. The last big event in the history of hashing is something we need to talk about. China. China has never been too big a fan of Bitcoin. What could be more threatening to an authoritarian regime than removing their control of the money supply? And so beginning in 2013, China banned banks from making transactions, arguing it could be used to launder money. Strangely, they didn't ban HSBC, who of course got their start laundering the money from the opium trade in China and are still the serious money launderer's bank of choice. But that's for another time. 
It should be noted that the regulator, the PBOC, did not ban individuals from trading Bitcoin, but advised against it due to the supposed risks. In 2019, attention turned to Bitcoin mining again, when the National Development and Reform Commission labelled Bitcoin mining an undesirable sector, noting the computer-intensive process. Then, in 2021, the State Council of China announced a restriction on crypto mining. The major hubs in Inner Mongolia, Xinjiang and Sichuan were shut down, and this shutdown was so big the price crashed. In September, the authorities announced all transactions were now illegal, even announcing that foreign nationals who worked for the crypto exchanges abroad could be subject to legal action. In short, China was not a fan. The 2021 China mining ban was in so many ways devastating. The price crashed, and with the hashing systems left in China no longer usable legally, they were bought up by American companies using cheap energy in the south of the country. Bitcoin survived without any attacks, or even a threat of a 51% attack, which would have been the best time to launch one, if you were that way inclined. The hash rate took a massive drop in May 2021, going back to January 2020 levels in a heartbeat. And yet by December 2021, the network had recovered all losses in the hash rate. The price, which often follows the hash rate, as the two are intertwined, did not, however, follow. Leaving some feeling the system is highly undervalued. But there is certainly a feeling that there is a lack of trust from retail and institutional miners since the ban. Yet, if we were to judge the hash rate to be the true value of the network, then it has proved Bitcoin's strength and resilience, even as the price has declined. Bitcoin hashing is the backbone of the system. The peer-to-peer -peer network needs a way to provide hash functions to provide for the proof-of-work mechanism. With Bitcoin, the system is kept intact by the sheer number of hash functions produced by the CPU's generation. This generation is crucial to adding each block to the timestamp server, allowing each node the chance to find the golden nonce. The incentive of the golden nonce is the key to the growth of the hash network. The big Bitcoin mining syndicates regulate and control the price, and as it gets ever harder to mine new Bitcoin, they use more and more CPU power, and the miners begin to demand more and more money for their Bitcoin. As bull runs start, more and more loose Bitcoin is taken off the market by whales. Miners start to demand more and more for their Bitcoin, which they often hold for significant periods, in order to get the most money for their efforts, or at least try to. Minor capitulations are often the start of significant bear markets for Bitcoin. The development of a decentralized rewarding system and a greater understanding of the process will hopefully mean running a node becomes more and more common for ordinary Bitcoiners. Running a full node by independent good actors can help to regulate the network, and they are incentivized to do so by the chance of claiming that golden nonce. The golden nonce is the incentive to produce hash functions. Many solo and small-scale operations join hashing pools to join with other hashes and to take a percentage of the reward should anybody in the pool find the golden nonce. Mining or hashing is the natural regulator of Bitcoin. So this has been a quick deep dive into the powerhouse of the software. I haven't talked at all about how much electricity the system uses, 
as it's almost a pointless statistic designed to make normies recoil at the network. But as this episode has showed, the sheer resources it needs provide such a huge level of proof of work that a 51% attack becomes more and more unlikely. This hashing system is perfect, and I would encourage all who can start producing hash functions for the network to do so. It really makes the whole system feel more real when you start doing it for yourself. So that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next episode talking about commerce on the internet.